Hey, welcome back to the pod crashed. Today we're telling the story of Pan Am Flight 7. Just an editor's note, we had a bunch of problems while we were recording this episode. We got disconnected, we had some microphone problems, my cat threw up, and that broke up uh, our experience of me telling the story and Mariah listening, and it ends up messing with the tone of the conversation in the second half. So I want to acknowledge right up front that the people involved in this story were real people with real lives who mattered, whose bravery and courage mattered. Thanks for listening. Our cursed episode. (laughs) Hello, Mariah. Hi, friends. So we'll talk about how cursed this episode is later at the end. We'll do it at the end of the episode so we can get to the good stuff. Yes, exactly. So uh, today we are telling the story of Pan Am Flight 7. So we're going all the way back to November 8th, 1957. Yes. Pan Am, as you know, like the like set the standard for airline travel it was they were lux we talked about it in the episode we did about the uh the <laughs> the pearl harbor oh like, yeah around the world yes, flight we yes, talked yes, about yes. uh pan am were the air they were the airline who decided that like pilots should dress like navy captains instead so of dressing fancy. in those like yeah, those old timey like um, Amelia Earhart outfits yeah. with like the leather cap and goggles and everything. Yes, they... I, I think pilots should dress that way now. It's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. It's Snoopy. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. Like, I love it. but the the look that we associate with pilots, you know, now yeah. the thing that makes like lets you know that person in the airport is a pilot that was like developed by Pan Am. The like look of um. Just the 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 idea of making airline travel this like very, very luxurious experience right. that people would like fantasize about or look forward to or save up for or whatever. Like that's Pan Am. Mm. And uh, this flight is like truly, again, like a work of genius it's yeah. a work of genius yeah. if you were like i'm going to design like the coolest possible experience that i can create for airline travelers in 1957 it would be this route because it's right. an around the world flight yeah pan am did like several different around the world flights depending if you wanted to depart from the east coast or the west coast so the flight flight seven that number is four flights that depart from San Francisco, mm. have 15 total stops, land in Philadelphia, <laughs> and then you got to make your own way back to wherever you live from there. <laughs> to the starting point. But, right? um, but you, the cool. idea was that you, it's so cool. Yeah. It's so cool. The idea is that you could um, like stop in the layover cities as long as you wanted yeah. and you could like just catch the next flight when it came around. Ugh. Right. So they would just go around and around and around and around the world. And 
you could just like hop on or hop off whenever right. you wanted and stay as long as you wanted. It's it, like an absurd luxury fantasy, yeah. right? Like so, so, so cool. Yeah. It would be so the, expensive to do that now. It would be so expensive. Like not it if airlines did then. it. Like airlines should do it. I'll I'll buy it. Like keep it cheap, you know. I this was something that like this is the like non-rev fantasy. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. this is what you want having flight benefits to be like. Exactly. Like retired pilots and flight attendants yeah. who like used to work for like um you know like airlines when the contracts were better <laughs> you know like yeah. they can do stuff like this now um so nice but the aircraft itself still won't be as luxurious because right. the plane we're on is a boeing 7 nope boeing 377 i'm probably at some point in this episode going to call it a 737 mm -hmm. that's wrong it's not <laughs> it's a 377 we'll just put like a recording over it <laughs> Like yeah, just <laughs> or I can just call it a Stratocruiser, right? Because yeah, that's yeah. that's the the brand name, I guess, of the plane. <laughs> um, these are like again just created for luxury. They're big aircraft for the time, not that big by today's standards, but big still. Uh, they were double decker and four piston propeller engines, <laughs> so like oh my car. God like piston car engines <laughs> but this is prior to like the development of jet engines right. so they're it's really crazy. they're they're pushing the limits for what's possible with a piston engine but but they're they're doing it yeah. <laughs> they're they're going yeah. um so four giant propeller engines that have to be a little noisy right like they gotta Very, be but yeah. <laughs> um and uh the the two levels of the plane have like um, a like big, beautiful lounge where you can have like these seven course meals and they have sleeping cars or I keep calling it. I want to call it a sleeping car as if it's a, <laughs> yeah. a train <laughs> sleeping compartments, Pod, right, yeah. where you can like sleep and, you know, just it's a very, very, very luxe yeah. experience for honeymoons or vacations or you know whatever whatever has you going on that plane right um they planes at this time just obviously didn't fit as many people because if you have a sleeping compartment and a big luxurious lounge right. uh, you can't fit that many people on it um we have 44 souls on board today on november 8th 1957 we've got four uh pilots Four flight attendants, 36 passengers, which uh, might be a heavy workload for those four <laughs> flight attendants, right? <laughs> right? Like if you have to be like everything to everyone. Right. Uh, the This particular aircraft that is flying today, we're going from San Francisco, flying west. The first leg is San Francisco to Honolulu. Hawaii isn't even a state yet. Wow. That's cool. Like, uh, this aircraft is named Romance of the Skies. Beautiful. Like, beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, the captain is Captain Gordon. Uh, Gordon is 40. He's been with Pan Am for 15 years. He, I like did the math on that a little bit. because I was like 1957. 
started working for Pan Am in 1942. And I don't... Okay. Am I... Maybe something was... I don't know. Like, Did they do something with the I, war, maybe? Yeah. Like, what were they doing? Right, right, right. <laughs> like, and I it don't know, right? I, I truly... Yeah, it, it has been. to be something, Yeah, right? Yeah, it had to... Um, I mean, I think everything was, like, towards the war effort anyways, so... If right. they were like an airplane company, 100%, they weren't, they were making war airplanes or something. Right. Like where you just, the World War II is just touching every aspect of everyone's lives. Right. So right. I'm sure, especially pilots. Yeah, exactly. So and they're like, we want luxury. Yes. Build me yes. a hotel and in especially, the sky. Right. Post-war yeah. luxury. Yeah. So, um... William is the first officer's name. He's 37. Um, he's also, he's got tons of experience. He actually has more experience on stratocruisers than the captain. The captain has more overall experience, mm. but the first officer has more on this aircraft. So great team, lots of knowledge. Uh, the second officer, who's the navigator, because uh, like, again, we just take more and more for granted with yeah. technology but the navigator is a extremely important role <laughs> on planes at this time yeah. right uh his name is also william god bless him and he's i think 32 his age for great some age. reason i had a hard time yeah i don't 32 is a great age great age right uh he's working as the navigator and uh we've got the flight engineer, Albert, he's 26, a mere infant yeah. on this plane, <laughs> just just uh, working together. Yeah. Good team. Uh, these around-the-world tickets, they leave on Friday from San Francisco. So Flight 7, Pan Am Flight 7 is always called Pan Am Flight 7. And that's the planes that are going on the around-the-world route from west to east so that means that like if you pick it up from like the next stop after honolulu is tokyo if you take it if you like hang out in honolulu for three weeks and then take it the next one to tokyo it's gonna still be pan am 7 mm. and then like tokyo to shanghai and then on and on um and flight seven for like total the aircraft itself this plane is going to make this route leave on friday arrive in philadelphia on wednesday so the plane plane spending a lot of time in the air yeah and uh working real hard because yeah. the um cruising altitude at this time is ten thousand feet wow okay so th again really <laughs> pushing these engines to the max because like that is just not that high right you know it, i mean it's incredibly high in a lot of ways um but it's not that high when you think about like just wind resistance yeah. and like you know, planes don't cruise at that altitude now because you will like burn fuel. So right. they're bringing like an unbelievable amount of fuel on board yes. these planes. And the plane today is this is like full. It's at its max like safe takeoff weight, like which is, you know, it's the max safe. So we're fine, but yeah. it's heavy. So uh 
yeah, we're going. Uh, they take off from San Francisco, no problem, heading toward the territory of, of Hawaii. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so at this time, if uh, so between, between San Francisco and Hawaii, there is nothing but the Pacific Ocean. Right. Like mm-hmm. very, very, very sparsely, like sparse uh, islands. Yeah. Right. It's really like just ocean. But the they need to be able to like communicate with somebody. Yeah. The flight takes ten and a half hours of like airtime, which like again, thank God Jeez. it does not take that long now. Yeah, <laughs> but it did at this time <laughs> on this cow. plane. So this like ten and a half hour flight along the route every hour or so, they actually check in with with boats, with ships that are hanging out on the ocean between Hawaii and San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. So every hour they'll just be like, hi, I'm here. And just like a little like monkey bars, just like one to the next. And that helps keep them safe right uh like what beautiful teamwork and because it is like it's not like pan am parked all of those boats right like i was gonna say who's who's doing the boating i think they're they're boats like coast guard navy Mm, just everybody working together yeah fair just you know like hey i'm i'm here and they i don't know a lot like jim is not out in his yacht like hey i think not but again there's also that like Everyone can hear everyone. So it's like an gotcha, open right. frequency. So if you were like, you know, like ham radios and things like that, like it's something that was like a cool thing you could do is just like listen in on mm. those kinds of communications if yeah. you're into that. Yeah. Yeah. Like the um the drive in movie theater, if you oh, went right, to yeah. Like the drive-in theater. If you're nearby, you can like pick up the radio station <laughs> yeah. and like listen to the movies. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, we're uh, we're rolling. We're in the air, and they the flight took off at like eleven thirty in the morning because you're not gonna like why leave earlier? You're on vacation. Right. <laughs> like eleven thirty is plenty early. <laughs> There's no TSA. Ten no hour nothing. flight. Right. You can get there at like 1125 and make it on the flight. No problem. So but you're on vacation. It's it's fine. So take off at 1130. No problem. Rolling along, calling boats along the way, saying hi. Um, About five hours in. So about halfway into the flight, they uh, call in to touch base with a ship and uh, they agree on like where they are like the plane uh, tells them you know like this is where we are do you agree <laughs> like where <laughs> are you kind of like, like yeah, just make sure yeah. that you're on the right heading make sure you're where you expect to be you know all of that um and when they check in with the ship they're um about 1100 1200 miles from honolulu so they're yeah they're about halfway they're at 10,000 feet, exactly where they want to be. Um, and they've got like a pretty healthy headwind because they're 10,000 feet. But I know, like, I just, this is not to criticize them. It's to like appreciate how 
how much better things like this are now yeah. like just what a luxury you know flying right. isn't as luxurious but like the luxury of being able to get there faster and like yeah have less like resistance from wind and things like that because they're at um it's like a 14 knot headwind which is like decent you yeah know, for such a long flight um like they're definitely doing supposed this the harder way at this point they just don't know oh right. exactly yeah, it's the hard way. You got the piston engine with right. the giant propellers. Like they are they are working. Everyone is working. Oh, it's working so hard. Yeah. Just just burning fuel. <laughs> just blasting God. through the fuel. Um, they're supposed to check in with the next this is at like five oh five local time. And they're supposed to check in at six with the next ship. Yeah. Um, and the I don't I think that it is like a little like a little relay. So like that ship that they communicated with calls the next ship and says like, hey, expect to hear from them at this time. So it's like a little net that they create. Um, And at six, they don't hear from them. And but like, okay, you know, whatever headwinds. Mm -hmm. Nothing's that timely right so they wait at 6 42 they call like pan am to see if maybe pan am knows something that we don't pan am doesn't know anything that they don't yeah um and so pan am calls the coast guard to like make like an official like it's been more than 90 minutes Mm -hmm. since we heard from this plane which like 90 minutes is given the circumstances like a reasonable window mm-hmm. but it's it's really a long time yeah. you know what I mean? right it, like it in real time, time it's a very long time or right. like rescue efforts and that kind of thing and so they inform the coast guard because they haven't heard from them in 90 minutes and then they wait another 90 minutes before they call the coast guard and say like okay so now it's been three hours since anyone heard from them can you look and see if you see anything yeah and so the coast guard was preparing for this they had the heads up they start to send out some search planes from hawaii so they're sending them from hawaii which theoretically three hours into it like so they would be eight hours into a 10-hour flight so Mm -hmm. if they are on track and like their their communication you know the radio is just malfunctioning you would expect to you know if you fly toward them and they fly toward you like you'll you'll see them you'll you'll connect with each other um they send planes out from hawaii they tell boats along the route to be on the lookout they ask if anyone's seen anything weird um by that time, it's starting to get dark in in Hawaii, and they actually uh, have all all of the ships, planes, buildings, anything they have that has a light. They have them like in Pearl Harbor. They all shine their lights up and out at the sky mm. to make like this big beacon. Mm-hmm. In case their navigation, like if their equipment is failing them, if you just make this like lighthouse, like literally right. just like light up Hawaii because it's just the pure black nothingness of right. the 
the Pacific Ocean out there. So if they like make this light beacon, then then maybe they'll be able to see it and it will like help guide them back. And they're just looking and looking and waiting and looking and they just nothing, nothing. So they, the Navy and the Coast Guard overnight as they're waiting and looking, they're like preparing like more ships to come out like more planes like having more people like get ready so that as soon as like the sun comes back up if the plane still doesn't come in we'll send more people out to look for them and they don't hear anything they don't see anything that nobody arrives and so at daybreak they send like more and more and more people out by 3 p.m local time the next day they know that the plane would have run out of fuel and so they have to accept that the plane is somewhere yeah but it's not in the sky anymore they the president of or the i guess the the guy in charge of pan am for that region Basically, like the statement that he issues is uh, like the plane has to be down at this point. It's like it's too late. It's got to be down by this time. But the Stratocruiser A can actually float indefinitely. This was an aircraft that has like normal landing gear. It's not like an aircraft that's supposed to land on water. But it is designed with some of those sensibilities in mind. So if it doesn't break up um, when it gets hits the water, it can float indefinitely. We have like life rafts and life vests and dye markers and like all of this stuff set up for this possibility mm. for the possibility of one of these planes they spend a lot of time flying over water yeah and again the altitude isn't as high as we think about now they're only ten thousand feet off the ground at the highest so they um basically are like you know don't lose hope right like but planes down somewhere yeah um they really do load these planes up with a lot of like thoughtful safety features for the time they uh, like the life vests, vest, flotation devices, actual like inflatable lifeboats. The die markers are like a big pod of of dye that will make this like visible colored marking in the water to make it easier to spot. Mm. If you like release a die marker in the water, it like lets planes see you more easily. That's cool. They um, have these little portable radios that they can, like, communicate with that, like, fit their light and they fit on the, the boat. They, um, yeah, they're not giving up. They're just yeah. going to keep looking. So they do. They keep looking. Pan Am sends out one of their own, another Stratocruiser, a different um, aircraft of the same type with, like, supplies like a like a bundle of supplies that they can drop out of the plane if they like fly overhead because obviously this plane can't hover right <laughs> but if it like flies overhead and sees people down there floating on lifeboats it can drop supplies down to them and they mm. also send a dc-7 like pan am sends a, another aircraft to dc-7 with 
fuel to stay in the air for 16 hours to just like continuously look for 16 hours the coast guard and the navy have like more than 30 planes they have 16 ships they're searching a massive like an incredibly vast area it's huge 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 swath of the ocean but they're getting anyone over there they can to look um like the other like merchant vessels fishermen ships whatever else is in the water is aware they're they're looking and they have uh like three different planes three different planes that like just pass overhead at some point on the day on november 9th Mm -hmm. the day after hear what sound like these like distant distress calls they sound like the type that would be coming from those little portable radios and there's a so radios like at this time like the radio frequency what you hear is going to be quieter if the person is farther away and louder if the person is closer to you okay so like not like phones now where it's just the volume is not affected by how far you are yeah so they're really distant and sound really faint but they they're on the emergency frequency so the emergency frequency that you would only be using if you have an emergency is 500 kilohertz and they sound like what you would expect, but they're so faint. One of the pilots thought that he heard them read a number and that the last that the last two numbers that they heard were four four and flight seven's tail number was nine zero nine four four. So they think like, okay, maybe, right? Maybe the Coast Guard looked into it and thought that it seemed like it was not. um, They thought it was somebody testing their emergency frequency. I don't know. I don't know. They don't know. They're just following whatever lead they can, right? Everyone's saying what they hear, what they see. A different Pan Am pilot saw something in the water that looked like a die marker. Three different ships converged on that spot, and there just was nothing there. They look, and they look, and they look, and they look, and they look day after day. And on November 14th, six days later, a Navy pilot saw wreckage and bodies floating in the water it was 900 miles from hawaii and 100 miles yeah 100 miles north of the route that the heading they should have been on okay so outside of what they were they were expecting it and the plane had crashed and no one had survived I think about like, uh, I don't know what it would be like yeah. to go through that for so long, just like the, not knowing. Like the search parties or like, just yeah. like everybody. Yeah. Families, everybody. Because yeah. again, like who's on this plane? People who just got married, people who yeah. just retired. Like they're you about know, to like have the best people... time of their lives. 
Right. This is the trip. It's the first leg. Yeah. It's the first leg of the trip. And like for the people doing the search, you figure so it's 1957. A lot of the like people who are in the military in general are going to be either like World War II or Korean War vets who have I don't know, just I think about like seen a lot of death, you know, yeah. and you are really hoping that you're gonna find not what they found. People converged on like the area where they found the wreckage. And I find this incredible, um, like given the amount of time that had passed, but they actually recovered nineteen of the 44 bodies. Wow. The 19 of those 19 people, um, 14 of them had life vests on. Oh, wow. And none of them were wearing their shoes. So, um, yeah, until kind of recently, if there was going to be an emergency landing, they would tell you to remove your shoes to keep your shoes from like puncturing the, um, like oh, the slides. Yeah. So wearing life vests and having shoes on or having no shoes on seems like they knew right. something was wrong. Right. And they had been um, preparing for that possibility. Um, the the people were wearing watches. And like waterproof watches are not, I actually don't know when waterproof watches were invented, or, but yeah. they, a non-waterproof watch will stop when it hits the water, yeah. right? So the watches had all stopped at the same time, Oh my god! adjusted for people who had like, you know, put them ahead to be on Hawaii time versus whatever, but yeah. they did all stop at the same moment. And it was 22 minutes after the pilots had checked in with the boat for the last time. Oh, wow. So not long at all after they had just touched base. The ocean at this spot was three miles deep. It just was not possible, even though they knew where the rest of the plane was. It's just, it's three miles deep. It's just not possible. It's not possible. It's, I think at this time it was literally not possible. Right. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's not true, but I think. But, uh, so they gathered whatever was floating on the surface, recovered the bodies that they could, and... Okay, so what happened, right? Um, At this point, there was no NTSB and no FAA. So at this time, there was just the CAA, the Civil Aviation Authority, and the NTSB, the Civil Aeronautics Board. So those, uh, the CAB, the Civil Aeronautics Board, they're conducting the investigation. And then the CAA is also involved, just like the FAA has some involvement with, you know, the NTSB. Yeah. So the Stratocruiser, right? This beautiful aircraft. Um, Lux, gorgeous, just 
elegant romance of the skies yeah so fucking dangerous yeah oh my oh God. gosh 56 stratocruisers were produced okay 10 of them had crashes oh. that ended in complete hull losses oh my so the other the other 46 also had problems but fully 10 of 56 were like complete crashes like no more plane crashes that's i mean that's <laughs> absurd <insane>. yeah <laughs> absurd right like that's just not that would never be no a thing it's just not possible i mean again like the the max like the 737 max two of those crashed of like hundreds you know what i mean and they were like no this is done as well they should have but at this i don't know baby it's 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 the 50s like you know i don't know (laughs) so yeah like i don't know how many are supposed to crash they didn't have like the data right Right, like they didn't know how safe aviation could be right these are the stories that make modern day exactly right this is why aviation is so safe now because of those 10 that were total hull losses meaning no more plane five of them five of those total hull losses had been due to propeller problems so like the the engine slash propeller issues with that (laughs) very important component yeah uh again it's a piston engine Jet engines are going to come out in like just a couple of years after that, after this. But, you know, we don't they don't live in the future. Right. Right. So the. The CAB only has so much to go on, but maybe mechanical. Right. Like that's where they're going to start. Yeah. Um, So. uh mechanics what do you have to say so this aircraft this plane that crashed in the ocean had had problems with specifically the propeller twice in the last like five months okay and so the propeller problems that these stratocruisers would experience it's called like runaway propeller and what it basically so there's four engines and the propellers um, can, like, be feathered. Like, there's the, they have some, like, mobility. They're not, like, totally fixed and stationary so that they're only ever... It's not like your, um, your fan or okay. whatever, where everything is just always shaped, always pointing in one direction. Right. You can, like, feather them, meaning, like, move the propeller itself at an angle. Oh, wow. Okay. And you can, like, tilt the whole thing in up or down and that's to help it's part of like the steering of the plane and the propellers could have a problem where they would start to like overspeed means spin too fast and the basically the pilots would lose control of the propeller like direction the centrifugal force would like whip it around and force it to like the lower setting Mm -hmm. and that would if you have one engine that's doing that you're not aerodynamically stable anymore right because one of your engines is just going hog wild and doing whatever it wants 
or it could spin so fast like the out of control propeller could go over speed and catch fire or it could overheat and explode or it could like the revolution story we did uh, a couple years ago the plane where the propeller like ripped off the engine Mm -hmm. and then like sliced the belly of the plane it could do that where it could just like just and just like slash into the plane right so oh that's those are all very bad things right yeah and again it didn't just happen on five it didn't just happen on on one in 11 planes right like there were five where that caused the plane to be completely destroyed but it happened on a lot of aircraft Mm -hmm. and so this aircraft in june of 1957 they had the runaway propeller problem while they were taking off from san francisco couldn't get it back under control but they were close to the airport and they could they could control it enough that they just came right back around and landed in san francisco in September of 1957, they just heard like the, a really weird sound. And that is like all the explanation I have for this. But it was remarkable to them. It was remar- like it, the engine made some weird sound yeah. that all of the pilots thought was weird and wanted checked out. And it was checked out. But there were some other things like, uh, like, tail strike this plane had a tail strike that was like meaning like when it was either landing or taking off it just like whoops and like bumped its butt into the runway oh um but it had been repaired um the other stratocruisers one runaway propeller shook the plane to death the oh plane, God. this is a different aircraft, different sort of cruiser flying over the Amazon rainforest because these planes go to all the coolest places and had a runaway propeller that just like if you've ever had like a, a fan that like got knocked off in a way mm-hmm. that it like started to shake yeah. crazy. Yep. That it shook the plane yeah. until the plane fell apart in the air, like shook it so hard. Horrible, horrible, horrible. That was before this one, right? Again, like, oh, just different, different times. Right. One had been ditched in the ocean. One had two engines do this at the same time, and they had to ditch in the ocean, which, again, is why they thought that people might be alive, because this plane had successfully ditched in the ocean and had survivors before but i mean the plane fair <laughs> our girls got problems yes, she do. Yeah. like she just um how many times can you successfully s- land in the ocean i don't know not that many right yeah so uh the mechanics they would like to know like hey mechanics like you're you have to like maintain and repair these planes all the time what are your thoughts yeah. And the president of the Pan Am Mechanics Union, because your union is supposed to have your back, the president of the Pan Am Mechanics Union said, absolutely not. Pan Am 
uh, has been like cutting our staff and cutting like our hours and cutting like the things that we need to do our mechanic job wow. safely and like and they said that a they've just generally been cutting staff one of the uh the problems that cutting your staff makes is uh, they told the mechanics to sign off on their own work instead of having a supervisor inspect it and then sign off on it so they would repair something and no one would like give it a second look which again like now redundancy the idea that you have like double triple quadruple check everything is like such a big part of aviation now but uh the they said that they cut them they had to sign off on their own work they said that the so engine overhaul was a part of like basic um basic maintenance for these aircraft meaning that they would like literally overhaul the engine Mm. um and after you overhaul an engine you're going to want to test it right pan am told them to just test every third engine that you overhaul oh my god because that's like enough of like a quality control and pan am so this is what they uh this is what the president of the Pan Am Mechanics Union said at, to the CAB. And Pan Am was like, that's absolutely not true. Like, slander, unions, okay. blah, blah, blah. And the CAB was like, oh, yeah, dope. And then the CAB just showed up for a surprise visit at the Pan Am, like, like aircraft hangar. And like, yep, everything the union president had said was true like that was true of course it was yeah. of course wow. um the that's fucked yeah. up and and part of the reason why pan am was cutting this is because pan am i mean pan am didn't build these planes right they had bought these planes when they bought them they were the best planes i'm there's no excuse for pan am just to be clear but they bought right. these planes when these were like the best planes that you could buy but Boeing, Lockheed, like other, you know, air, aircraft manufacturers have been, have made a lot of improvements in like a pretty short period of time. Yeah. And again, jet engines are about to be invented. And I'm sure that if, if I'm saying they're about to be invented, I'm sure that at this point, Boeing is already talking to Pan Am about like the sick new planes they're going to have. And we're not going to do the piston engine thing anymore. Right. Cause like maybe that's not a great, way to get it done um and so pan am just doesn't want to invest that much more into these planes they want to like use them up basically which wrong attitude pan am pam am pam 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 um wrong attitude pan am but that's how they got there okay yeah please no i was just gonna say a little Um, bit of an irrelevant question but that's mm. a little bit relevant Pan Am was the catch me if you can airline, yes. right? Okay. Cause I'm yes. like, I'm sitting here like, I know Pan Am more intimately than, and I just couldn't place it. Right. But then that just came into my mind. So yeah. Okay. Yes. The catch me if you can airline. And when did that happen? The 80s? No, earlier, right? Mm, in the 60s. 60s. Yeah. Mid, so mid late jet 60s. Jet engines maybe? already. Jet engines, yeah. baby. Yeah. So, um, Okay, so the mechanical situation seems worth uh, pursuing, that maybe it was this major problem that these aircraft have, right? So are there any signs of 
a fire. They don't have most of the aircraft itself to look at, right? But they have whatever was floating. They don't have the engines to look at, but they have whatever's there on top. And so was there any sign of like a fire or an explosion or a, um, is there a visible slice, I guess, in any of the, you know, whatever, what, what do we got? And there's a pillow, a scorched pillow that has a piece of the engine cowling like jabbed into it. So a piece of the engine cowling, which is like the cover on the engine, a piece of that is stuck in a pillow Mm -hmm. and the pillow is scorched. So Mm -hmm. if an engine exploded and like shot a piece, like, like actually breached the, the hull, like came into the cabin and hit into sunk into uh uh the pillow like that's what that looks like right right if it exploded obviously that would be like a huge amount of damage for the aircraft um to sustain right with or without a fire that doesn't look good yeah the bodies that they have the 19 bodies that they have don't have any burns um which is good um you know for the sake of those like human lives right. um but it, it's maybe not what you would expect if it was a fire and explosion right? right so there's no burns on the bodies um the the bodies have like cuts and bruises broken bones things that you would expect from like the impact mm-hmm. thankfully not it's not they didn't drown but they have co2 in their lungs which made the first person who looked at the bodies who who um like did the initial autopsy thought that it seems like they inhaled smoke right which would mean there was a fire of some kind on board and there was some debate by the like medical people who were involved here, some of them thought that the CO2 could be like a byproduct of decomposition. But they, I don't know the answer to that question. They didn't know the answer to that question. Yeah. CO2 in lungs seems like, seems like smoke inhalation to me, yeah. knowing nothing about it. Do we think, um, though, that they would some, have time to like put on life jackets and take their shoes off if there was some sort of fire and explosion i just don't right. like I, it seems weird that people would be calm enough to do that so early on in flight travel you know like the natural instinct right would be to kind of freak out right i don't know yeah. right i and i don't know right. like i don't know if the again those four flight attendants really if they right. were able to like really like definitely some evidence of like an explosion or or fire or something there's i mean it's it's present um but it's 1957 and there are no laws as we all know so um one of the things that they looked into was was it sabotage or of some kind interesting and so at this point um because airline travel was not very safe 
you could buy life insurance at the airport. You could buy like a quickie in life insurance policy Perfect. just for the flight if you wanted to yeah. for like very cheap. Yeah. Um, or you could buy regular life insurance at the airport if you were like just thinking just about your insurance. mortality. Yeah. yeah, this is just the moment. So um, there had actually been more than one instance earlier like in the 50s of people doing exactly that buying life insurance yeah. and then bringing a bomb on the plane or one wow. guy put a bomb in his mother-in-law's suitcase bought oh, life yes. insurance yep. on her you remember heard, you've heard about this i've heard this story yeah i think uh, my favorite murder covered it one time yeah, yeah. there you go yeah, yeah. i mean it's crazy yeah. so so the um, FBI and the CAB, that's one of the avenues they looked into, right? So they see, like, who bought last-minute life insurance, yeah. right? And uh, Pan Am actually asked them to check out the one of the flight attendants on this plane. Oh, damn. So the bursar on this plane, his name was... Uh, Eugene Crossweight, okay, and he's the bursar on this aircraft, okay. um, the head flight attendant. Um, That's like the college Pan money Am. guy. <laughs> college money guy. The I'm bursar's sorry. office. Yeah, it is. I don't know what bursar means because, right, the guy, the financial aid office, yeah. and like flight attendants. That's yeah. the two times I've heard that right. word used. <laughs> but the um, the Pan Am described i'm quoting here i don't love some of this language just to be clear yeah. but i'm just quoting what they what pan am said pan am described him as mentally unstable he had a suicidal persecution complex Jeez. and they had written him up for strange behavior those are the words that pan am used pan am also said that he was gloomy uh, the greatest sin of all being gloomy as a flight attendant, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. But they said and they said that he held a grudge against the airline because he got tuberculosis Jeez. in Shanghai while he was there with Pan Am. <laughs> so like, uh, right. but they but here but he's working on the plane. I don't understand right. Pan Am. If you if you have a plane that crashes and you're like, "Hey FBI, as long as you're looking into this, can you check out the person we paid to be on the plane?" Right. I don't understand. Right. Um he had issues with the police in his hometown for abusing his stepdaughter. Oh, no good. Because not not sexual abuse. Um but abusing her because he and her mother had gotten married and apparently he had never been good to his stepdaughter. Um, but his stepdaughter, his, his wife, her mother, died three months prior to this crash. Jeez. And he had like been much worse to the stepdaughter that he's now taking care of alone since that time okay. and had written her out of his will nice. like the week of this crash and left the redone will in his glove compartment in his car parked in the parking lot at San Francisco before he got on this flight. Okay. His stepdaughter said 
he did it. And again, I don't love this, but I'm quoting her that he was too chicken to go out alone. And that's her language. Um, But she thought he did it. But I mean, God bless her. Like, what a rough three months for this child. Um, The... uh, He also had shown explosive powder to people in like the weeks prior like he'd like See, that shown makes off me suspicious like, <laughs> everything else yeah, seems, there's a seems lot circumstantial that right. one in particular i'm like mm, maybe not uh, explosive uh, powder but why does he have explosive powder right. the fbi searched the home to like look for remnants of the explosive powder and didn't find any I don't know. Weird. I don't know, guys. I don't know. I don't want to. Right. Like, maybe he was just like a severely depressed guy who was trying to survive in the 1950s. You know? Right. Right. Like, right. Like, like, no resources. Where it was a sin to be a f- gloomy. Right. You know? Exactly. Right. And you don't know what, like, I don't know what strange behavior means. Right. It seems like if you abuse a child enough to have the police actually get involved in 1957. Yeah. Um, right. But that also doesn't necessarily mean that you blew up a plane. Right. And like even the will know. in the car, like, OK, maybe he kept it in there so she couldn't see it or whatever. Like, I don't know how old she was. but Right. And and like as far as like cons- like thinking about like mortality, his wife had just died. Right. Right. So. Uh, yeah, there's like I a mean, plenty. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the circumstances of his wife's death, but he apparently blamed the daughter for her death which again this poor girl oh my gosh i hope that she had a loving family to go to after this i don't know but i don't know the circumstances of her death Mm -hmm. so i don't know how right like if it's related at all or yeah i don't know how like based in reality that sentiment was because i just feel like it would also make sense like totally crass but he would if he was gonna kill himself he would probably kill the daughter too that's what family annihilators right. do. Like that's yeah. I don't know. I'm glad she didn't die. Yes. Um, I hope she's still alive, and I hope that she's like just thriving, yeah. whatever she's doing. Um, because that's a lot yeah. for a little girl. I don't know how old she was at the time, but yeah. but uh, so the FBI couldn't find the explosive material. Mm-hmm. Um. But they like put a pin in it, basically. Um, and then who the FBI wanted to look at, they're the person they chose from this list was William Payne, who was one of the passengers. And like, okay, oh boy, William. Sweet William. Okay. So much debt. Oh. oh no, so much debt. debt. So much debt. Debt. Mm. Debt. He owed so much money. money. Debt, debt, debt. Right, which, like, if that's a sin, lock us all oh, up. Oh, God, but, like, yeah. But poor William. Oh, God, so much debt. I mean, um, in the 1950s, that's it's always interesting in to 1950- me when people can get into so much debt in the 50s. He got into a lot of debt. Um, so he uh, had $18. He and his wife, they had $18 in the bank account. Um. Relatable content. Um, Very. Out of of that $18, he wrote 
two bad checks that hadn't bounced yet by the time he got on the plane. Um, he wrote two checks, one for a one-way ticket to Honolulu, a one-way ticket to Honolulu, to this flight. Okay. Um, so the other one, he had been in the Navy for 22 years and had retired from the Navy. Um, so again, rough time to be in the Navy yeah. for 22 years, right? World War II and the Korean War. Yeah. Um, so a lot to experience yes. as a person. Yep. Um, he, after he left the Navy or retired from the Navy, he had, he and his wife had bought a motel and were trying to turn it around and it was not turning around. Oh. It was not turning around. They were in so much debt. Oh, it sounds like and such a solid other, move. Oh, it's, uh, people make money off, money off motels. It's done. In the 50s, right? Yeah. Like, in the 50s, yeah. Were there even hotels in the 50s? Motel heaven, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Yes. And so uh, they had bought the motel. So the two checks, one was for a one-way ticket to Honolulu, a one-way ticket to Honolulu. He has like a wife and child, in, not in Honolulu, one-way ticket to Honolulu, super expensive. And the other one was for a year of fire insurance on the motel. And like, it wasn't like it had come due. It was like... I think I need, I think I have no, I think I have $18 in the bank, but I'm going to spend like $400 right. on a year's worth of fire insurance on the motel and a one-way ticket to Honolulu. He had four life insurance policies, Jeez. one of which he had bought at the airport that day. Okay. Four life insurance policies. That's a lot of life insurance, Will. Yeah, um, And... He had like he bought like one extra one at the airport, which is why it initially didn't like flag in when they had when they first looked at it. It was like he'd bought. Yeah, like people had bought life insurance. That's not automatically suspicious. Right. But our, our friend had four um, when he was in the Navy. He had been an explosives expert. That was his job mm -hmm. in the Navy. Um, and when they were like hey, like, why did your husband write a bad check to go to Honolulu? And then the plane blew up. Like, what was he, why did he go to Honolulu? Um, his wife said that he had to, he was going there to recoup a debt. Someone in Hawaii owed him money, mm. which like, depending on the circumstances, right. but the ticket cost $174. Oof. And the person supposedly owed him $150 and um who the person was or why he owed him money nobody knows and I this is bizarre this seems wrong this is what the research I read told me mm -hmm. it seems wrong to me but whatever it Apparently, he had never been to Hawaii, which seems unbelievably unlikely for somebody who yeah. was in the Navy for 22 years during this time and period right. in, in history. But apparently, he had never been to Hawaii because that's what I thought. Like, you could know someone in Hawaii sure. if you were in the Navy. Or like but, maybe he was going to hide in Hawaii so that his wife would get the life insurance. Like, oh, OK, I'm dead now. Right. Maybe. Right. Um. So then his wife. God bless her, wasn't gonna um, just, you know, 
she's not dead so she moved to tijuana and got married seven months after beautiful like seven months after this crash she was remarried seven months later in tijuana and while she was in tijuana oh my god the motel burned down Oh, oh no! no. Oh no! So they got the the fire insurance, and so uh, the fire the company the insurance company didn't want to pay because they said it was arson, and they were like, "No, we're not paying this." Because right. it was right, it was for sure. God bless her. It was you burned your own motel down, them. honey. They don't right. They don't want to pay. No. But then she sued them. And they did pay. Damn. And right. So Even with the, bad the insurance. Check. Right. Right. Damn. Right. How that's that's extremely real. I don't know how that all worked out. I don't know if because she got the life insurance from her husband. Right. If that she just was like, whoopsie doodle. Like, yeah, here's your money. Like, I don't know. That would but, never um, happen today. No, the, no, mm. it would never. But the insurance. So the four life insurance policies, right? Four life insurance policies. Yeah. One of those, the total amount of those four life insurance policies was one hundred and fifty five. No, one hundred and fifty five thousand dollars, which in today's money is like a lot close to two million dollars. Yeah. A lot of money. So much money. Um, and one of them that was for twenty thousand dollars. So 155,000 is the total amount. One of those insuring those companies that had only owed her $20,000 said like, no bitch, I don't believe your husband is dead. This is so shady. No, no. And that's what they said specifically. They said, we don't believe your husband is dead. And his body was not one of the ones recovered. He was not one of the 19 bodies that was recovered. And they said, they sent her a bill to keep paying the insurance Jeez. because they said he's not actually dead. And she also s- sued them. She sued that insurance company and, and won. <laughs> she won. Beautiful. And the, the gate life. agent, who, the gate agent who had been working that day said that he had checked in her husband and they were like, everyone on that's it. Like pay up. And so she also sued Pan Am for $300,000. Jeez. So, she's like, getting her back. <laughs> she really turned things around. She she's like, I'm never going to be a dad again. Of this, I honestly, I mean, so the FBI <laughs> basically said, we don't know. We, they, they really did basically, like, they don't know if he's dead that's what they said the fbi really? said like it cannot be confirmed that he died they didn't say that in court she got her money yeah but like in their internal records or whatever they're like this is very suspicious right <laughs> um she's got a great lawyer yeah i'd say i so. really hope her husband didn't murder a bunch of people i hope so i really hope her husband didn't murder 40 people 43 yeah, no. people i hope this was the plan so, all along it's just that he was planning on staying in hawaii that's okay that's exactly it yeah so here's the thing the cab when they came out with their report which they didn't take i mean now you know again they take as as long as they possibly can right they they really want to get an answer they take a long time not the case at this time like they want to wrap 
it up right because they and, and the idea behind that is like closure for the family and families and also the cab so the caa and the cab were in charge of regulating uh aviation and investigating aviation accidents and like also in charge of promoting airline tra- travel to the american people huh. so those are like very conflicting interests right. so they that's not great to have like those conflicting interests and i again i'm not trying to villainize them it very much seems like there were some conflicting interests um but they one way or the other they wanted to wrap it up they had like hearings they did their investigation and pretty quickly they just said we don't know they said we just we don't have enough of the plane to to say yeah right they didn't include any of the maintenance stuff in the report uh-huh. Um, they did say like it does seem like these planes aren't super safe. Um, but they didn't ground them or anything. They just they were like, "Sorry, guys, we're stumped." Um, the FBI actually kept their uh investigation, which was secret at the time. They kept it open for much longer than the CAB's investigation. The FBI didn't actually, like, again, they didn't find William Payne, so they don't know, you know, but, like, so, but that is, Inglorious Bastards, like, my favorite movie, right, that, spoilers, light spoilers, I don't know how to, it's an older movie movie now, (laughs) but, um, but at the end of that movie, like, the culmination of that movie is, like, three different plots mm. to kill hitler right. right all like line up at the same moment right totally different like people who have nothing to do with each other don't know each other exists yeah and then they all work together to kill hitler they don't work together they work unknown to the other ones yeah. that's what i like reading this it's like the planes were definitely bad enough to crash on their own right and there were possible suspicious yeah some suspicious stuff Jeez. Some it's like everyone's vibe was on. was just way off way off Couldn't handle it way off and so a lot of the most interesting like collection of data or like the the greg harkin and ken Fortenberry are um two men who like actually met on like message boards right because they um like kind of like 2003 2004 so like early on like aviation message boards um talking about this flight because both of them were independently extremely deeply interested in this flight um ken hortonberry was the son of William, the the um flight engineer, the navigator, oh. not the flight engineer, pardon me, the second officer, yeah. the navigator. So that was his son. So Ken's father died on this crash. So he's Jeez. 
very invested. Right. And again, they never got an answer right. on what happened. Right. Um, and Greg um, Marie was one of the flight attendants on the plane, and she had been his fourth grade teacher. Jeez. And I guess she had been like, like profoundly memorable to him. Oh. Like she had a profound like effect on his life. Yeah. And she died. And so both of them were like very invested in um, figuring out what happened here. And yeah. they met on these boards and they ended up like writing, like doing a lot of research together. They went to, um, they collected, they've written like several like lengthy articles. They actually, we didn't get into this, um, but there was, so there's no black box at this time. Right. They just doesn't exist yet. And the radio transmissions were recorded kind of like if you just like had a tape recorder like in the middle of a room yeah. and just recorded the conversation. So there were agency like a government agency that just recorded what was on the like on those communication frequencies gotcha. on the radio. And there was this like. They had like pulled at the time all of the radio communications from like the relevant slice of time, right? Like maybe an hour within an hour of that last um, transmission. Mm -hmm. And they had, there's like a segment of that that the people who originally were like looking for anything thought maybe this is something because this sounds like a distress call and they were talking about an engine but the the first people who listened to it thought like maybe but couldn't really understand what they were saying the um people who made the radio like the manufacturers of the radio mm -hmm. they took it and like tried to like improve the sound quality to the best of their abilities and made a transcript of what they thought it said. Pan Am actually had pilots who like knew the crew that was killed on this plane oh, wow. well, like good friends and coworkers of theirs Jeez. and had them listen to it to see if they recognized their voices. Yeah. It's so brutal. But so but um and those pilots incidentally didn't think that it was them oh really yeah those pilots didn't think it was them um and uh, we didn't get into this as much i think that the if there was any kind of it very much seems like there was some kind of fire or explosion right whether it was caused intentionally or if it was those like jerk engines right. or something else a fire can like very quickly destroy the um the communications like the radio like it can make it impossible to communicate with the radio mm, mm -hmm. way before it could actually bring the plane down just because of the nature of like where the antenna were on planes and things like that so the you can check it out um Barely sociable, is that right? Barely sociable 
did what I think is like a really interesting video on this flight. Um, and he talks more about that, um, that section, the, our boys, um, Greg and Ken, who met on the message boards and wrote a lot of articles together and did a lot of research together, they actually got permission to go and they listened to the recording at like the archive and they it's hard to you know you can you can make guesses you can make educated guesses but i don't know i don't know what happened to this plane but my goodness a lot yeah a lot it's interesting that they were a hundred miles north because they would have drifted they could have drifted that far probably right in that time frame. Yeah, I think that's if they so if something did happen to the um one of the engines, like if one of the engines failed or was just like off kilter in some way that made it unstable, mm-hmm. that could make it hard to control like the plane from from um turning you know uh-huh. like it could turn off because of the like differential thrust right right i think that if they had control over the plane that they would maybe be able to remedy that like you know or control for that because mm-hmm. pilots do like four engines you have four engines so that one of the engines can stop working Right. And you can still control the plane so you can overcome differential thrust. But if more than one thing was wrong to me, the the engine cowling stuck in the pillow is like very, very damning. Mm -hmm. Because like if an engine exploded and like a shot like right into the plane, it would make the plane like very hard to control. And. um, Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's a very, very strange story. Yeah, a lot of different avenues, considerations. It's not like a for sure thing. One of the for sure stories, you know. Yeah. But. Great job. Thank you. Thank you. For listening. Beautiful. Our cursed recording day. Yes. I want to hear your fact before I forget, like I always do. Yeah, my fact is that. Uh, well, I can frame it in a fact. <laughs> um, did you know that today is International Women's Day? Happy, happy International Women's Day to you. Um, happy International Women's Day to you. It's, it's always funny because up until literally today, up until this International Women's Day, I thought that it was just like, um, you know, like National Donut Day or whatever. Yeah. Because... Like, of course, that's, that's what it, it's that's what yeah. it, International Women's Day would be. Right. Like, um, yeah, no, no. It was started in 1911 and is like one of the most international, like the most important international movements for like women equality. Uh, that's just like been the longest running thing, um, which I had no idea. But- and it's a huge obviously like. A lot of you know, if you've been listening, I work uh, in the nonprofit field with immigrants. 
so it's a huge deal. It's always been a huge deal since I've started working here. And I just thought it was like, you know, a cute holiday that everyone could get behind in the U.S. And like, you know, everyone like in our agency just felt like compelled to celebrate it or whatever. But no, it's like a real it's like a real thing with like they do amazing work. I had no idea. So um, that is the fact for today that International Women's Day was started in 1911. Uh, It's a real thing. You should go look into it because it's super cool. Um, that yeah, I don't want to interrupt. No, please. So you and I are the same. Yes, and like I exactly the same because it's not much of anything in the U.S. No. besides maybe like you said, National like Donut right, Day, right, Dog to Work Day, right? It's not like a real holiday, right. a real thing. And I had no idea, like I had no idea until like I traveled and like found out that it is like a real thing yeah. in other places. Ugh. And or like, you know, had the pleasure of right or like had the pleasure of like working with people from like a lot of different countries. And they're like, no, no, it's a real thing. And the other do you remember Coney 2012? Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. We all remember. So that again, made by, you know, an American group. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Where an International Women's Day isn't a big thing. That came, they, they released it, like, I just looked, because mm. I remember that it was, like, right before, yeah. and it, they released it three days before International Women's Day, oh. and were, like, soliciting, you know, um, donations yeah. for the cause, and they, that was one of the things, like, part of the blowback mm. was that, like, International Women's Day is, like, a... um big like fundraising time yes. for groups that like serve women around the world yeah. and it like ate into their funding because people had like just oh, donated right so that was like another piece and again i do i i empathize with the people who made that that is like a whole other conversation yeah and like i empathize with like oversights like that because you just you don't know what you don't know yeah. and yeah. yeah. So that that was one of the first like things that made me like aware that <laughs> that it was yeah like, thing. Cuz it didn't it didn't seem like a real criticism to me and it's like right. it's 3 days before international like who Like right it's not right cares? exactly. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, yeah that it's, was it's like a, yeah. and it's always been a huge thing at work and I've just like I I just I don't know I just never put the pieces together and never really talked about it cuz I just didn't think to ask, you know. Um yeah no totally it's a very 100 it's very cool yeah it's very 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 cool so i had no idea it was that old though i had no idea it went like back to right before the titanic right? like i had no idea that it was that man yeah love it well what a day what a day what a day what a women's um, international international women's day what a day for women international <laughs> i mean it's an official but, holiday in afghanistan like take That's, a second take a fucking second you know what i mean i wonder what they're doing i, I wonder what they're doing today tough <laughs> i i really do i'm like authentically interested in yeah. like what how how that is it's going in china um, it's only a holiday mm. for women that feels both sexist really? and extremely feminist at the same time 
that is but what does it mean for it to be only what like how they did not like, al- they did don't... not elaborate they just put it in little uh like uh brackets only for women, women. same with nepal <laughs> like only for women what does it mean Probably, maybe they get the day off that would be such a strange day to like go about life i would <laughs> right? like that like, a day where all women are off it just seems but like just like going about like in the world like it would just be such a strange yeah i mean day. the world would stop and- <laughs> like what yeah but that's 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 real yeah. like literally how does because if it's i mean i don't if know you if gotta like off, close but, anyway right if you gotta like close anyway because half your workforce isn't there right. <laughs> then like are you open like yeah. are, is it a holiday maybe it's a holiday for everybody yeah but that is yeah that is i i'm desperate if you live in a country where international women's day is only a holiday for women is a holiday and is only for women i want to know yes how that works yeah. <laughs> like what it means but oh well, I don't usually, usually we don't have like a hard cutoff, but we today do. was cursed. So yeah. I, I love you so I much, Mariah. And we'll do some chat chat next time. We will. Stay tuned. We love all of you. We do. Thank you for being with us on this yes. cursed day. Yeah. No, blessed, blessed day. day. International Women's yeah. Day. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Pod Crashed. We so hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch with us for any reason, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok, or you can email us at thepodcrashed at gmail.com. We're making it up as we go along, and we love your feedback. So hope you're having a beautiful day, and we'll see you next week. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.